Okay. Um, today is September 3rd, 2023, and we, we're reading from the big book of the Alcoholics Anonymous. We're in the chapter, How It Works, and we're on page um, 70, starting with Suppose We Fall Short, and reading to the end of the chapter on page 71. Our reader today is Kim G, and after she reads, um, she'll share for 20, or after um, we read the topic and she chairs 20 minutes, then we'll open it up for discussion after that. Um, the reading is going to be read by um, uh, Lori H. today. Lori, please read the text for us. Hey, family. All right. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we are going to get drunk? Some people tells us so. But this is only a half truth. It depends on us and on our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done, if we have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We're not theorizing. These are the facts out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge and that when to yield would mean heartache. We have been thorough about our personal inventory. We've written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct, and we're willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you will read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. You've already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps. You have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and, digest and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. Yes. Thank you, Lori. And now it's my pleasure to introduce Kim G, who's going to share for 20 minutes. Kim, you have the floor. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. And hi, everybody. First of all, thanks for everyone. These in the States. This is a, a holiday weekend, three-day weekend. So I really appreciate you putting your recovery as a priority and attending the meeting. So thank you. Um, my name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm from South Jersey Intergroup, which is right outside Philadelphia. Um, I have been in OA since 1994, and I've been recovered and abstinent since January of 2011. So you can see there was a 17-year run up until when I got abstinent and recovered. Um, my top weight was a size 22, um, but I've also been underweight and a size two. And I've also been the size I am now, which is a size 10, binging and purging and over-exercising. So I have done research in all areas of this disease. Um, and I have to say what I have seen in these last 12 and a half years of contented abstinence is that for those first 17 years, what I did is I put the food down and I faced the food and I ran, tried to beat it up with, with going to meetings and sponsors and all the different tools. And every time I faced the disease and tried to fight it, I would get TKO'd and knocked out by the disease. 
But 12 and a half years ago, when I was in a place where life was becoming impossible, I put the food down and I faced the solution and I ran at it with everything I had, which included all the tools, but I was focused on seeking the solution versus controlling the problem. And I want to assure you that I've had 12 and a half years of contented abstinence seeking this solution on a daily basis. So today's reading um, is we're finishing up the step four process. Um, and I have to tell you that, uh, you know, for many years too, in that first 17 years, the steps to me were what was on page 58. It was just simply the steps on the wall. And it was as if I'm in high school and I'm giving the assignment to read War and Peace but I don't want to read War and Peace. So what I do is I buy the cliff notes and I write my book report off the cliff notes and then I get pissed off because I get a C. So I would look at the steps on the wall and I would think I knew what they meant and I would try to work the steps off the wall and I would continue to go back to the food over and over and over. So we are ending up with step four. So I just want to do a quick summary of what has gotten me to this point. So step one for many years in South Jersey, it was very popular to say, you know, are there any other compulsive overeaters here besides myself? And I would raise my hand. And I realize now what I was raising my hand to was I'm fat and I don't want to be fat anymore, or I'm no longer fat and I'm terrified of getting fat again. And the big book has four chapters telling me what does it mean to be a real compulsive overeater? You know, why do I need this 12-step program? So the doctor's opinion tells us the diagnosis that to be a real compulsive overeater, I have an allergy of the body, that I, when I ingest certain foods, ingredients, and behaviors, I get a phenomenon of craving. It's a physical reaction, it's never going to go away. Therefore, I have to 100% put those foods down in order to not have that reaction. But the bigger part of the problem is I have this mental twist. I have this mind that tells me it's okay to have the foods I'm allergic to. And if my only problem was the allergy, honestly, most diet programs can teach me that and I don't have to do it anymore. The reason I need the 12 steps is because I have this mental twist. Bill's story is a description of what it means to have those two characteristics. There's a solution tells me about people who maybe can be maybe successful on on all the different diet programs. I the way I describe it is this 10% of the people that Dr. Silkworth um, worked with has this allergy to the body and mental twist. There's a solution talks about the 90% that might have a food problem, but they can be successful on an app, right? And then the more about alcoholism chapter tells me about this mental twist. And it tells me what I thought step one was, don't eat no matter what, no matter what, don't eat. And what step one is, is I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat unless I have a spiritual awakening. And when I realized that 12 and a half years ago, I had an urgency to move through the steps in a way I never had before. You know, I'm a kid of the 70s and 80s. I used to treat the steps like a twister game. Right hand red, left hand blue, put the food down, maybe try a 10th step, you know, uh, maybe, you know, go back to church for a little bit and sponsor people. I remember a sponsor saying to me, you know, Kim, the the, the steps are, are numbered for a reason. You have to go through them as you go through it. And the big one for me was I had to be abstinent to get through the steps. My favorite line in the doctor's opinion is men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I can't get the effect from the steps if I'm still getting the effect from the food. So doing the steps drunk, I would think the steps didn't work. 
But the reality was the steps weren't working because I was still in my, in my substance. So when I, when I acknowledge that in step one, I'm, I, I am propelled to step two, again, thinking at the cliff notes, I thought I had to go back to church. I thought I had to go back to the, you know, be the priest and the nuns and the Catholic school kid. What step two is recognizing your powerlessness. Do you need a power? That's all it is. I don't have to define it. I don't have to accept it. In fact, if I could do that at step two, we could have a pamphlet. Admit you're powerless, you know, believe in God. We need we need more steps to get to access to power in 10 and 11. And that need propels us to step three, which again, doing the cliff notes, I thought step three was I'm giving God this laundry list of things I would like him to accomplish today and in what order and with what people. And if I was a good little girl like Santa Claus, I'd get the gifts under the tree. And if I was a bad little girl, I would get coal in my, under my stock, in my, you know, in my stocking. And therefore I would quote unquote, take my will back. And what step three is, is let's look at what life when like life is like when Kim's in charge. And what I discovered was life is a shit show when Kim's in charge. And I am propelled to make a decision to learn a new way of life. What is that new way of life? It's four through nine. And when I learn four through nine, I start to implement it in 10 and 11. And that is actually when I turn it over. So what we're studying now is step four. It's the beginning of the inventory process. Again, my old idea was step four was the inventory. I would write you know, my, my, my story. I would write about being 10 years old and 11 years old and 12 years old. And I would rehash all the, the, the pain in my life and I would eat over and over again, rehashing that pain. That's not how the big book presents step four. And that alone is not the inventory. I wrote a lot but I didn't tell anyone about it. I didn't identify my defects in six and seven. And I sure as hell didn't make any amends in step eight and nine. So until I get through the four through nine, that is the inventory process. So in step four, which is what we're finishing right now, you know, like I get, I, I used to think it was a life story. Honestly, my main object of step four was to make my sponsor in step five, hate these people as much as I did and to prove why I was right and they were wrong. And the big book, what we just finished studying is there's three different inventories. There's a resentment inventory, which is the number one offender. That's four columns. And there's a prayer in there, the sick man's prayer. And then we get led into the fear inventory, which is a five column inventory. And there's a fear prayer. And the last one we remember last week was the sex conduct inventory, not about sex conduct. How do we interact with people in a, in a, in a relationship of attraction? And there's three prayers there. That's how much more compl complicated it is. And actually one of the prayers is in the reading today. And I have to tell you what has been helpful to me is once I get through four through nine, when I start practicing this in step 10 and 11, is this sex conduct just becomes relationships. You know, my relationship with my parents, my relationship with money, my relationship with Overeaters Anonymous, my relationship with my coworkers. It's just a relationship inventory. And when we get through that, we're going to move on next week to step five. So they're letting us kind of have a summary here of what happens when we get through this inventory. Um, so let's start on page 70, that first paragraph. So suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. So one of the big changes for me was I learned these ideal prayers in the sex conduct, but I started to apply that to all areas of my life. So I have an ideal as a daughter. I have an ideal as a sister. 
I have an ideal as a member of OA and I start to like actually, you know, massage them. I have an ideal as a, as a member of this group. I have an ideal, I run workshops. I have an ideal as a workshop leader. I remember having an ideal for my brothers. I have two brothers for many years and thought, hey, my brothers are very different. I need to have a different ideal for each of them. You know, um, my my parents um, are now in their 80s and um, they used to live half hour from me before the pandemic. And during the pandemic, they started to really go down and I was blessed enough to be able to move them next door to me. My My ideal, my relationship with my parents is totally different now than it was three years ago. My dad has advanced Parkinson's. I'm gonna be very transparent with you. I went over there this morning. I have to give him his meds. He now has a Foley. He's got blood in his urine this morning. So probably after this this um, this uh, meeting, I'm gonna to have to call the emergency room and probably spend the day in AR, ER again. And I'm very angry about it because it's Labor Day weekend. I really needed a break. So thank God I have ideals that I use in 10 and 11 that I did through this inventory so that I can be useful to my, my father who's now bedridden with Parkinson's, right? That relationship has changed. So it's saying here, when we create these ideals, it says, suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're gonna get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we'll be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. If, so these are the conditions. If, if we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are the facts out of our experience. So again, inventory is four through nine. So when I do my step four and I give my step five to my sponsor and I start to see those patterns and what I discovered for myself specifically is that fourth column in the resentment, selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened. If I covered those first three columns and just read the fourth column, I didn't even know who I was talking about because my defects are the same regardless of who I, act, I bring up on stage. Right, so those those defects is what my real problem is, and I make amends for them in step in step eight and nine. Well, one of the ways that my defects really um, comes out is in gossip. And what I saw was when I don't feel good about Kim, and I feel insecure, the way that I feel better is to tear others down. So does that mean? Because gossiping is not a part of my repertoire today. Does that mean have I never gossiped since I went through the steps? Hell no. But when I gossip, I lean into 10 and 11. I know it's about my own insecurities. I make amends if necessary. And then I go on. I don't need to eat again. But if I decided, screw that, you know, during the pandemic, my company laid off our entire accounting department. Every accounting department nationally was laid off. They created a couple of finance positions and I didn't, I applied and didn't get it. Everyone was so angry and mad justifiably angry. If I said, screw that, my company is wrong. This is not gossip. I'm just letting people know the truth. And I said, screw it and continue to gossip what I have eaten. Absolutely. Absolutely what I've eaten. So it's letting us know this inventory process that we're learning is how we can stay sober the rest of our lives as long as we continue to use the inventory process. I'll tell you one of the mistakes that I made is there's, there's beautiful prayers in step four that we've learned. I left them in step four. How can that prayer help me if I leave it in step four? In my 10 and 11, when I have a resentment, I'm using that resentment prayer, especially God save me from being angry. God save me from being angry. Because what I have learned is 
If God can save me from being angry, then people can be the biggest assholes they want to be because my peace of mind isn't dependent on how other people act. When those fears come up and I say, God, remove this fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be, every fear inventory, I do that. Now, I have to tell you, one of the ways I've kind of tweaked that is I ask God to be with me in my fear. My dad has is end-stage Parkinson's. If I wasn't afraid, I would be in denial. So I have to ask God to be with me in that fear so I can help him. I love the definition of courage. Courage isn't acting in the absence of fear. It's acting in spite of the fear, right? That's That allows me to be useful. And then these relationships, all these relationships that we have, that's a constant prayer. It says, you know, on page 69, it said, um, we ask God to mold our ideal. So we're asking bottom of 69 in meditation. We ask God what we should do about each specific matter. And then in the page that we're studying on 70, it says we earnestly pray for the right ideal for guidance in each questionable situation and for sanity, for strength to do the right thing. I know that I'm doing that with my dad. My control issues are up. My mom doesn't do it right. My brother doesn't do it right. Part of this is not only to ask for help, and I've learned through my four through nine, you know, my 10 and 11, there's a, there's another part besides asking for help. I have to accept the help. That's what's hard for me. I have to let my brother do it differently than I do it because I can't do everything for my parents. My mom's got dementia. She yells at me all the time, right? I have to, I have to, I have molding that ideal. How can I be useful to her and not react, Right. And then it tells us here, if if sex is troublesome, I think of it as life. Life is very lifey right now for me. If life is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. I have to tell you, I was shocked, you know, these last 12 and a half years, seeing when people pick up after they've been through the steps. Honestly, I've never known anyone who's picked up, who's been actively engaged in 10, 11, and 12. What I often see is people, life is going so well, don't have time to work with people. Or I have too many responsibilities. I don't have time to work with people. I have to tell you, working with people is so essential. That's where I throw myself into. Because if I forget who I am, because I can pass as a normal person because I'm recovered, then I'm destined to go back to the food. So as life, when life is very troublesome, we throw ourselves even the harder into helping others. And that last full paragraph on 70, I was taught these are the fourth step promises. I think and I love to look at them as I'm finishing up that fourth step. Am I starting to feel these promises? It says, if we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. So again, the word thorough was a one, you know, I'm, I'm competitive. So if I wrote a, a five subject notebook worth of a fourth step and you wrote a three subject notebook worth of a fourth step, I win. I remember being in a meeting where someone was saying, listen, I've had, I had 1200 resentments. And literally the moderate moderator said, man, you're pretty effed up and pretty proud of it. Like it's, it's, that's not the point of the four step is to write everything is to find those patterns. So the thorough is not how much I wrote, but did I follow the directions? Did I fill out each of the columns? Again, I can, I can use those columns as a way to justify my anger, justify my fear, justify my sex conduct. That's not the purpose. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. Again, listed and analyzed. This is not supposed to be an emotional reliving of trauma. Listed and analyzed. I've begun to see their comprehended futility and futility. Definitely saw that. Man, I can't be in a relationship with the guy in front of me because I'm still angry about the guy I dated five years ago. 
You know, I was voted best smile in college and was devastated and thought they were making fun of me because I had braces for seven years and kids tease me so much. Those kids that teased me when I was 10 had more power over me when I was 20. I'm sick and tired of the world having, having control over me. It's futile. And I started to see that. I don't want to live in the past anymore. We've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. I can't be fully president today because I'm dragging around yesterday or I'm fearful what's going to happen tomorrow. We've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards men, even our enemies, for we look upon them as sick people. Man, I, when I start to see how my defects rub up against other people, I feel compassion for them. Man, my two little brothers, what they put up with? One of the things that annoyed me with this process was when I stopped interfering with my brothers, not only did they survive without my interference, they thrived without my interference. I didn't realize how controlling I was until I started doing this. We've listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and we're willing to straighten out the past if we can. Again, a lot of my feeling is a lot of us don't want to step, step on step four because we know about step nine. We need to stay in step four. And as we do step four, we start to, I mean, I started to want to make amends right away. And I was warned there's still steps in between four and nine. I needed to do them so I could do an amends. The worst amends to do is an amends for amends that you made before that you screwed up. That's why we have to go through the process. And then in the summary it says, in this book, you read it again and again, that faith for, did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off. Another mistake I made, I thought fourth step was about figuring it out so I could fix myself. What step four is, is to acknowledge these defects that are blocking me. I'm selfish. I'm dishonest. I'm self-seeking. I'm frightened. I'm inconsiderate. And acknowledging only God can remove them. I am, I am desperate now for this connection with power. What I believe 10 and 11 is not a belief in power. It is access to that power. If it was just a belief, then those 12 years at Catholic school, I wouldn't need OA. If it was just belief, then why do we have priests and nuns and rabbis and imams in 12-step programs? I needed access to the power because my brain as an addict is screwed up and I can't access it. If you've already made a decision, step three, and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you've made a good beginning. So again, the way that I approach this is step four through nine is a skill set. And I'm going to be implementing that skill set for the rest of my life in 10, 11. I don't need to write every detail of my life. What is what is what is having rent in my head for free? So I think sometimes people are afraid if I didn't write it down, then it's, then it's, you know, it's not going to work. We learn those grosser handicaps. What are those boulders that are blocking you? And then when you get into 10 and 11, you'll deal with the pebbles. You'll deal with the, with the grains of sand. I just need to get those boulders out of the way so I can get unblocked. Those grosser handicaps, and I've made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. And when I've done that, next week we'll start talking about step five. Because being in my head only, what I learned in the doctor's opinion, men in, that um, my alcoholic life is the only one, normal one, that I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. I need someone to help me reflect back my fourth step so that I can move forward to six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And thanks everyone for letting me share.